This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and, if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Coming up later, some fantastic news about the River Vare. But before I share that with you, listen up now if you own a dog or a cat. New research from the University of Sussex found insecticides used for pet flea treatments in 99% of water samples taken from our rivers. I spoke to Professor Dave Goulson of the University of Sussex. Dave, thank you very much indeed for joining me. So this research that your PhD student, Rosemary Perkins, undertook, where did the idea for it come from? I've been interested in the impacts of pesticides on bees in particular for a long time. And this might not seem to have much to do with bees, but there was a sort of sneak bit of evidence emerged three years ago where a chemical called imidacloprid was found in rivers by the Environment Agency. It's an insecticide. It used to be used a lot by farmers. And most of it was found in the more intensively farmed parts of the UK, which made sense. And we thought it was coming from farmers' fields. But there were some really odd results. There was the odd river here and there in places where you wouldn't expect any farmers to be spraying pesticides because there aren't any crops. So in places like the remote highlands of Scotland, where there were spikes of this chemical, and we started us thinking, you know, what where was it coming from? One of the only other uses apart from on farmers' fields of imidacloprid, is a flea treatment on dogs and cats. So that's where we got interested in this. We started to wonder whether these flea treatments might be getting into rivers. DEFRA were eventually persuaded to fund us to look into this, and that, that's what's funding Rose's PhD. Were you surprised to find, the, the DEFRA evidence showed, that the, these pesticides were found in so many rivers, so many of the water samples? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we thought we might find some, uh, but... That's a far cry from finding these two chemicals in, in one or other of them, and often both of them, in essentially every, uh, every river that was sampled. And not just that, but at concentrations that are probably high enough to be doing considerable harm to creatures living in those rivers. These are they're insecticides. Obviously, you put them on your dog or cat to kill fleas and ticks, but they'll kill any insect, be it a, a bee or a, a dragonfly. And... People have tried to calculate the kind of likely concentrations in fresh water that are harmful to insect life. And the concentrations we found were, were often more than 10 times. And, and the average for one of the compounds that uh, we analysed was, was 38 times the safe limit. And that particular compound was found in, in 98% of rivers. It doesn't sound like a, a terrible thing, having a few invertebrates killed in rivers. But what, what's the effect of this <laughs> on the whole river community? Uh, well, I shouldn't. I, I I shouldn't laugh really. But for for me to, to hear someone saying that having insecticide in rivers is not such a terrible thing, actually, because I love insects, and I, I it does sound pretty terrible to me. Um, well, it, it, they, they get a bit of a bad rap, do insects, don't they? We I tend know, to think of things that that bite or they're pests or whatever. So, so yes, they, they they're not all like that, are they? And they, well, they, they let have... me defend them a little. Um, of course, you know, the, some of the insects that come live right around freshwater, things like mosquitoes and midges, are not so welcome to us. But they're really important 
uh, as part of the food chain. Uh, if you're a bat or a swallow or a swift, then then that's what you eat. And and actually, many of the the insects that live in fresh water are really beautiful creatures. Things like dragonflies and damselflies and so on. Also, of course, really important food for trout and salmon and so on. Insects are, are, make up the bulk of life on Earth, and uh, we uh, should be really concerned at anything that might be harming them in our rivers. So have we seen a decline in invertebrate populations in rivers? Insects, both aquatic and terrestrial, have, have been declining for decades. Now, I'm not saying this is all to do with these flea treatments at all. There are lots of other drivers, habitat loss and other pesticides coming from other sources and so on. But there's no doubt at all that, that insects are in rapid decline. From what you've said, it sounds like it's pretty certain that these very harmful chemicals have come from pet flea treatments. You know, you've thought about the other places that they could have come from and ruled those out. So how does does it get from the pet into the river? Yeah, so it, it is interesting. And there's the two main compounds, imidacloprid I mentioned, which is a something called a neonicotinoid insecticide. And the other one is, is called fipronil, which is kind of similar. They're both neurotoxins and they, they both go on the, the back of the neck of the dog or cat. You're supposed to drip them on once a month. And it, it seems really odd that they're getting into to water so readily. There's probably several ways it happens. The most obvious one is if the dog goes for a swim. And a lot of dogs, when they take them for a walk, love water and will jump straight in the nearest canal or lake or river. And these chemicals are water soluble. Put them on the back of the neck of the dog and they're supposed to just kind of smear all over and they last for for months. So if at any point the dog goes for a swim, that's going to contaminate the, the water. But actually, the interesting thing is we found much higher levels below wastewater treatment work, sewage works, suggesting that actually a lot of them are going down our drains. And now whether that's people bathing their pets in the bath or whatever, or perhaps washing their bedding, because if it, these chemicals are all over the animal, it'll probably be all over its bedding too. And if you then wash that in the washing machine, it, the chemicals going down the drain. We're going to look into that further to find out exactly how it's getting from the dog or cat to the river. But it seems that most of it's coming from drains. So presumably these flea treatments are being used because people don't want to have a house full of dog fleas or whatever. And, and actually, really, pets do need washing, don't they? Well, there's, there's a number of kind of issues here. I mean, I must admit, I've got a dog. She's about seven years old and we haven't treated her for fleas all her life. And you never had fleas. Most animals don't, don't get fleas. And I must admit, we very rarely bathe her as well. <laughs> so that's another issue. She does swim in the pond regularly, but thankfully there's no, no pesticide on her. So the first question is, do you need to treat the animals prophylactically 12 months of the year? Vets recommend this. But I personally think that that's not necessary. And it's a bit like taking antibiotics to avoid getting ill. It's, it's rarely a good strategy to use a pesticide unless you have to. So I think the scope to reduce the, the number of applications per year or to just use them responsively when there's a problem rather than prophylactically. But also there are alternatives to these particular flea treatments. And we really need to know more about how reliable they are and whether they also have environmental damage associated with them. And that's something that I'd really like to look into in the future. There are organic alternatives. There's a there's a chemical called dimethicone, which is a silicon-based substance that's actually common in shampoo, which is used as a flea treatment. But whether it's as effective as these insecticides, I honestly couldn't tell you because I've never tried it. <laughs> 
So it sounds like there's lots more research to do on this. And then presumably, ultimately, this you'd probably hoped that this was the subject of some regulation. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it would be nice to solve this problem. You know, we can't carry on with insecticides swilling around in our in our rivers. And one solution would be regulation to limit their use or, or even perhaps to ban certain the, the worst compounds. But also it would be nice to find out what the alternatives are, as I say, and ideally be able to recommend to people a strategy for, for controlling fleas on their pets that has no environmental impact. You know, that's obviously the, the ultimate goal. Indeed. Well, we look forward to hearing that at some point in the future. Dave Gilson, thank you very much indeed for explaining that to us. Pleasure. After we'd finished the recording, Professor Gilson gave me a couple more facts that I thought that you'd like to hear. Firstly, the government made a decision a while ago that pet treatments didn't need an environmental risk assessment as it was assumed that any impact on the environment would be on such a small scale. And secondly, just to demonstrate the potency of these flea treatment chemicals, Professor Goulson said that one flea treatment will kill 60 million honeybees. That's four big lorries of dead bees. And if you consider that 10 million dog owners treat their dogs 12 times a year, well, now you begin to get the picture. Now, I asked the local vet's practice for an opinion. They said that flea allergies are difficult and expensive to treat if you don't stop the problem at source and that the fleas can bite humans too. They said that they were concerned about the environment, but they were not experts in this area. Well, I'll be sure to share any updates as this story develops. Let's have some good news now. Well, Ratty is back. Well, he's not quite back yet, but the Hudson Middlesex Wildlife Trust are planning to reintroduce water voles to the River Vare next spring. I spoke to Tim Hill of the Hudson Middlesex Wildlife Trust to find out more. Tim, thank you very much indeed for joining me. So how long have water voles been absent from the River Vare? The last record of water vole from the river was 1987. Why did they go extinct then? The main reason is that the water voles have actually been eaten by North American mink. North American mink were introduced to this country to be farmed for fur coats back in the 1920s and some escaped naturally and there were releases from those fur farms which meant that they become became naturalized in the wider countryside and as a result of that water voles have been very very significantly predated by North American mink. The reason that water voles are so susceptible to predation from the North American mink is that the female mink is about the same size girth-wise as a water vole. So they're able to get into water vole burrows even below water and hunt down the water voles and kill them and, and eat them. Has that situation changed now? Has the mink population dropped? There is now a national drive to control North American mink across the country. And in Hertfordshire, that work has been going on since the 1990s. And we, we coordinate that across the county through monitoring for the mink and then the mink 
if they're found uh, are caught and uh, dispatched. So things are looking better from the point of view of predation. How about from the point of view of the river there? There have been problems about the water levels in the river there over the years, and I'm assuming that waterfowls do need water. Yes, yes, they are a they are a wetland creature primarily in this country, and they do rely on those wetlands. And we have been working through our Living Rivers project at Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust to champion uh, chalk rivers and the habitats they're in and the animals that they support and a big part of that is trying to maintain or increase flows within those rivers. We know that the last year or so that water water levels in the Ver particularly have got better and now there is a there's a strong flow there and we are lobbying and championing for a protection of those flows in the Ver going forward. And also you've got some help at this point with the reintroduction from uh, an, another Body, haven't you? Yes, the reintroductions of the waterfalls to the Burr in, in 2021 is very much a, a collaboration in between Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust, uh, the Ver Valley Society, a number of landowners, including the Gorhambury Estate on the Ver, and we're thankful to the Debs Foundation who have provided the funding to enable the reintroduction to take place. The Debs Foundation is a charitable trust that supports animal welfare and wildlife charities. So we're very grateful for them to um, enable us to carry out the reintroduction. Where will you get these water bowls from? The waterfalls will be supplied by Derek Gow, who is a consultant who provides water voles and uh, has led on reintroductions of, of native animals across the country. Uh, Derek is a farmer who lives down in Devon but is a, an animal specialist and he has supplied water voles in the past to two water vole reintroductions that have already taken place in Hertfordshire. And I should say that the reason that we're, we're so keen to do this is they are an endangered animal. In Hertfordshire, waterfalls are now restricted to a handful of sites and, and a few rivers. So they're a really rare animal, teetering on the brink of extinction, I would say, in our county. So these types of initiatives are really important to ensure that waterfalls don't go extinct. So apart from being indescribably cute, what difference will water voles make to the river itself? Will they do anything you know, that will sort of change the, the bear habitat for other creatures? Water voles aren't a habitat engineer. They're a really good indicator of the health of a river. If a river is good enough for water voles to live in and thrive, it means that that river will support a wide biodiversity. They're an indicator of the quality of it. And so the fact that we are going to reintroduce the water voles to the Ver is recognition that the habitats there are suitable for it. And the habitat there is, is being cared for by the Ver Valley Society and the landowners along the way. And they are a natural part of the wetland ecosystem in Hertfordshire. They should be there. And sadly, we have lost them from a lot of places, but this, this is part of our, our restoration of the ecosystems of Hertfordshire. And well, it is absolutely brilliant news. So 
This is going to happen um, sometime uh, late spring. It's not happening just at the moment. Is there anything that, that we can help with, any way that we can sort of contribute positively to this fantastic project? Yes, we will be looking for help with the reintroduction. When it happens, 150 animals will be reintroduced to the ver, And the process involves setting out pens for the voles initially, filling them up with hay and straw and putting some food into them. Then the voles are introduced to those pens. The pen is open at ground level, so the animals are, are then able to burrow out of the pens uh, until they get used to their new habitat. They are also then able to go back to the pens if they want to, where the food is there. So we do need people to help us construct those pens, put them out uh, along the river and indeed help with the actual introduction itself. So if anybody would like to help us, do get in touch with uh, Hots Middlesex Wildlife Trust, info at hotswildlifetrust.org. As I said, we're going to be doing this in collaboration with the Ver Valley Society. So the Ver Valley Society is a, is a wonderful local organisation that leads on the conservation of the Ver. So people could consider becoming a member of the Ver Valley Society as well. Obviously, we'd welcome any new members to Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust because these sorts of projects we're only able to do them with the support of our members and uh, organisations such as the Debs Foundation. And the other thing that is really important that we can all do is just think about using less water. By saving water, we're all saving wildlife. And what I always say is any water that isn't used in the home is more water in our rivers and wetlands. So I think that's a really important thing that we can all do. And to get lots of help with saving water, listen to my conversation with Jake Rigg of Affinity Water about Get Fit Water on the podcast page of RadioVerulam.com. And you can also find podcasts there in which I talk to John Pritchard of the Vare Valley Society about the importance of the River Vare, the issues facing it and what they're doing about it. I'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, thanks for listening.